We're in a new environment. Yep. It's there's there's live animals around us. Yep. And Christmas trees. And there's Christmas trees. And it's glorious. And in such a glorious condition, what else should we talk about than financially crushing debt? <laughs> hey everyone and welcome to What's Up with Money? An ongoing conversation to help make sense of today's financial confusion. I'm Ryan, a writer and millennial who's asking the questions. I'm Ronald, philosopher and financial advisor who's given the answers. From outdated 1980s financial advice to magic social media strategies, we aim to shine a light on what's really helpful, lessen financial anxiety, and better understand money. Thanks for joining our conversation as we ask, What's What's up up with with money? money? There was one video of a guy who was walking into like Walmart and he's like, 10 years ago, there used to be fights. What happened? <laughs> like people used to trample each other. Now there's no one here. Where did it, like, what happened? Well, much changed, I know. man. It's changed. I know. It used to be like the wild west. I know, but those doorbusters, man, they were, they were everything. Oh yeah. So they were everything. But speaking of doorbusters, <laughs> We are about to embark on yet another series. We're do, we're all we're all about series. Yep. This this time around, it's it's that time. It's time we, we did it. Yes, sir. That's right. We're doing a series all about debt, which is a huge thing in the financial world. So many financial gurus kind of hinge their whole philosophy around debt. Yep. And and so we are about to tackle it, starting with this episode, which is all about bad debt. Bad debt. Bad debt. Most specifically, I believe we're about to talk about uncollateralized debt. Yeah. Which is, which we're we're getting, which I think not a lot of people may understand what that means, but we'll get into that. But this is, this should be, everyone should perk their ears because this may pertain to you. Everyone has debt to some degree, whether it be a house or a credit card or a student loan. Yeah. Everyone's got some type of debt. And if you don't have any type of debt, good for you. Or the federal government. Or the federal government. Yeah. <laughs> they got $33 trillion. It's okay. Yeah. But debt, debt's also interesting because you see there are two different pillars of debt. There are people who are like avoid debt at all costs. Yep. And then there are those who are like, I love debt. That I eat debt for breakfast. Yep. I'm a billion dollars in debt and I've never been happier. Yeah. And, it, and those are two... Two very different things that are very hard to reckon with because they're talking about two very different things. Yeah, but they're using the same term of debt. Yes. Yeah. And so that can be very hard to kind of suss out. Exactly. Yeah. As, as, as to what they mean. So we, we're we going to try. Well, Ron is going to try, and I'm just going to sit here and listen. No. To, You've got a pretty good grasp on the two types. I mean, that's just because we've been talking for a while. Yeah. And, and I have ideas. And so what, let, let's get into what we're talking about specifically tonight. So tonight we're talking about uncollateralized debt. And what exactly does that mean? So the idea of collateral is that you have something of value that you're borrowing against. Okay. Uncollateralized, which is what we're talking about here, is the idea that you are borrowing money, but you have nothing aside from your good name. Or like a credit score. Like a credit yeah, or a, so a credit card is a great example and probably the chief among uncollateralized debt because they're willing to give you a credit card with mm-hmm. a credit limit of some money. Yep. I, is, I just, my credit card, they just upped my credit limit for no reason. I was like, hey, that's great. Congratulations. <laughs> Yay. That's usually a good sign. Yeah. They want you to spend more. <laughs> like, spend more. Spend come more. Come on, come on. <laughs> so the idea there is that they're willing to give you that credit line of whatever dollars on the idea that if you use it, they're getting a high interest. So yeah, they're like playing, 25% interest, which yeah, is, which is a, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what they're trying to do there is they're willing to loan you money at a high interest rate with nothing behind it. Right. Essentially other than maybe your credit score or maybe your total debt. Right. So, and then that's where, and the other big one is, why most people feel like student loans are mm. horrible is that most people entered into those contracts, <laughs> uncollateralized 18 year olds. <laughs> you can't exactly, 
you know, pay them with your education. You know, yeah. if, if you if you if you're faulty on your loan, you yeah. can't be like, okay, here's my education back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's those are the two big ones, and they're by far the two biggest sort of quote unquote bad debt right things that I are, mean they're definitely I mean student loans is the hot button issue these days, and and so and and credit cards since they've been birthed have been a huge issue. Yep. It, it, the next episode we'll talk about collateralized debt, but I think we should just very briefly that that's collateralized debt is just something that you have like, like a, like a home mortgage where it's a loan against the house yep. or like a, a life insurance debt where you take out a loan against the policy. Yep. There's a way for the person that you're, you're, I, I guess the, whoever you're, you're taking the loan from, yeah. there's a security where it's like, if you can't pay, there's a way for me to get my money back. Yeah. yeah. And I'll use like Elon Musk bought Twitter via collateralized debt. So he borrowed, I don't know how much he paid for Twitter. What, against right? SpaceX? No, against, <laughs> his te- against his Tesla stock. Oh, okay. So the Tesla stock was the collateral. And then oh, I did not know this. a okay. bank was willing to loan him a crap ton of money, but he had to put the stock up as collateral. Okay. So in general, the more collateral you have, the more likely you are to get loans. Sure. Because it's why in the case of like mortgages, why it's so good for banks and mortgage lenders is because if you don't pay, they get your house. Yeah. So that's great collateral for a lender. But then when it comes to, like we said, student loans and credit cards, there is no physical thing that so they just rely on high interest yeah Yeah. and the student loan thing is an interesting one because it didn't rely on necessarily high interest it relied on government backing and then universities jacking up prices so Mm. it's this whole mess that isn't necessarily high interest although some of them can be most of them sit in the seven percent or below seven percent was what my loan was yeah Yeah. so that's that's kind of where they sit in general, which is a couple percent higher than is normally good, but not the 30% that you see on credit cards. Right. And it was for education. And so there was sort of like this combination of like, and there's, there's some books that you can read about like the conspiracies that really aren't really conspiracies anymore. <laughs> They're more of like what happened after 1980 okay. that made student loans come about, what made universities jack up their prices, how all that stuff kind of happened. But right. those are what most people think of when they think of uncollateralized. And, and that's it, usually what gets people into trouble. Right, right. That That, that is, um, especially, like I said, with credit cards, because people can go down a very slippery slope yep. when it comes to those. And then with student debts, the thing about student debts, which is the insidious part, is that it's 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 almost a forced expense. You you can't if you are someone who is looking to embark on higher education, and unless your family is is rolling in it, mm-hmm. there's real or you are able to take advantage of some type of. Shoot, shoot. What's like the a scholarship? Scholarship. A Thank you. I don't know or, why. Yeah. I don't know why I was blanking on the word scholarship. But unless I didn't get one, it, <laughs> so. I, I did. I was very oh, fortunate. Congrats. I was very fortunate. But it wasn't a big one. But it was good. It helped. But uh, unless you're someone who can take advantage of that for, in in whatever way, you you really do rely on those student loans and higher education is practically as we learned from a previous book recommendation of yeah. uh, Adrift by Scott Galloway. Higher education is practically mandatory now. Yeah. If, if you want, uh, unless you're going into a trade, which is obviously an option, but if you're looking for a meaningful job that isn't a trade, you need higher education. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and therefore you need to take on debt. And sometimes the jobs you take Oh, you get after graduation doesn't exactly help pay off that debt yeah. because the amount of income you're receiving isn't matching up to not only what the cost of living is, 
but the cost of living plus paying off that education. Yeah. And then the calculations are like, oh, let's do an income-based repayment plan. Oh, well, we think you can pay 20% of your annual gross income towards your debt service. So now you got 20% going to taxes, 20% going to your student loan debt service. That leaves you with 60 60% and yep. probably, you know, a good another 20 of that is probably going to rent and 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 living and another 10 to 15 is going to food. Yep. And and pretty soon you you wheedle that down to like having no money to go outside of your apartment. You know? Yeah. And if anything else, I mean, shoot, it for most people if you if you make 75,000 and yeah, if if you don't, if you are, I don't know, if if you if you're making you know sixty to seventy five, and you don't have a partner living with you, that's that's depending on where you live, that could be tough. Yeah, and yeah. essentially, you're looking at that point, you're looking at like three to four thousand dollars to live off of. That's if you've done nothing else. Yeah. Like, and so, the average rent is half of that in the U.S. So now you're in a pickle. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just sort of the situation that most people found themselves in especially people that started going to college in the nineties. <laughs> so, cause we all came out with degrees that, and no, no high income that we were promised. Hey, look, so, my generation isn't much better. I know. You it know, just, yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't really corrected yet. So. Yeah. 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 But this, this uncollateralized debt, this is sort of when we hear people talk about avoiding debt, yep. this is the debt that they mainly talk about, especially with, with credit cards. Cause like we just discussed, student loan debt is very hard to avoid. And so you, there's a, you know, people have strategies about paying that off, yep. but, but, but what, the, the what, credit card debt is what they're really coming at. Yeah. Because what happens is now you are obligating a chunk of your paycheck to interest. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that's unnecessary and you don't need to. Yeah. And so why would you, especially since it's high, 20 to 30%. So then that becomes just, it, it just buries people. Right, yeah. If especially when like the minimum payment's 25 bucks. Yeah. It's like, it's which is nothing. That's, that's not even paying, you know, depending on how much you have on that credit card, that's not even paying off the interest. That you paid for the Chipotle you had. <laughs> I mean, but it, it really, yeah, it really just doesn't do anything. And then that's where, this is where true yeah. compounding <laughs> in a negative way takes place. Because if you get 30, 30, 30, 30, just building on top of itself, then you're just, You've just doubled your debt. Oh, you're swamped. And then if you take, if you open up another credit card to help mm -hmm. pay off other, you, you know, and pretty soon you're, you're, you are drowning, you know, and, yeah. and it's, and it's scary. Yeah. And most people don't then in, in like the situation we just mentioned, 75,000, if you're covering, like, if you got a loan, a student loan, and now you've got a credit card mm -hmm. bill that's building on itself. Yep. All of your future income that you get is now obligated to the government, to your education, to your credit card company. And sometimes that's not even your fault. I know there's the stigma of someone like going shopping and spending a lot of money, but sometimes like I think about my dad who moved out here from to California from Ohio to be in radio. Yep. And he had he was he had to live off credit cards in order to do that. Well, and, and we'll talk, my penny for the thoughts is like why high interest credit card debt is good. Oh, interesting. And so we'll save. That is I, interesting. Your, hot take, hot take. You're on, you're on to something because one of the things I want to talk to him, Penny, for your thoughts is sort of to destigmatize when sometimes people have to do it, why they might want to do it. Right. And why it's not just a general evil. Interesting. Interesting. But to, I, I don't know. To have now play, you need to listen to the end. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do. I need to listen to the end because I have no idea what's going to happen. Yep. We haven't said it yet. But to have fun with the evil, you, you, do, you did send me some, some, some numbers oh. when it comes to debt that I think are very fun. First off, when it comes to credit card debt in the U.S., I, I expect that this is what this is. Yeah. There is about $1 trillion worth of credit card debt 
active right now. Yep. Then when it comes Divide that to by 350 million people and it's a lot of debt. Then when it comes to student loan debt, it gets even higher. Not much higher, but still higher at one point. You go from one point. <laughs> 800 billion higher. 800 billion. 800 billion. It looks more. easier when it's 1 trillion versus 1.8 trillion. It does. But when you talk about it in terms of 800 billion more. It's a bigger number. Uh, yes, yeah, so 1.8 trillion of U.S. citizens are currently under student loan debt. That's according to a quick Google search. It's a quick take, Google search. Take that for what it's worth. If of this date of recording. Of December of 2023. Yep. That is what we have. And then the final number, just to put everything in perspective, uh, is the U.S. government's debt, <laughs> which is at around $33 trillion and climbing. Yep. Yes. Like I saw someone the other day post, why do they have the nerve to give me a credit score? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. The U.S. credit score isn't exactly high. Mm. Tell us about these figures. What, what does this mean for you? It means that a lot of people are carrying a lot of debt. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, I could have told you that. So <laughs> if, you just, if you just take the average of those, it's an enormous amount per person. Mm-hmm. And then if you factor in, okay, so a lot of people don't have either of those, credit card or student loan debt. That makes each person that does have those debts a much higher obligation. And so in my mind, it's like how in the world can a normal person making between you know called 75,000 a year mm-hmm. ever hope to overcome that in any meaningful way and you know the the idea then is okay so you got to do you got to do like the Voldemort strategy like scorched earth on your debt <laughs> to get rid of it because you you just you just can't get anywhere if that's hanging around you yeah. so that makes that approach incredibly attractive. And in, and in most cases, economically the b- best situation, because once you can get yourself out of that hole, then the idea is, okay, now, now you've got freedom. <laughs> yeah. Look, I've, I've read the book and, and he talks about, he, there are stories of doctors who take a second job at like a Domino's to help pay off their debt. Yeah. And when you read it, it's inspiring because the guy's like super stoked about it. Yeah. You know, I'm paying off my debt and I couldn't be happier. Yeah. And you read it being like, should I get a second job? Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's very convincing. Well, it's because the uncollateralized aspect of it. And I like the idea with a doctor is like, oh, your collaterals, you'll get a high salary. And it's like, cool. But it all goes to debt service. All goes to debt service. And so then it's like, yeah, it takes a while to get out of that. Yeah. And then, like, I have some doctor friends. And, like, they're like, this is the worst. Like, because, and I have a kid that wants to be a doctor. So it's Mm -hmm. like, now you're like, okay, 12 years of college. (laughs) So so much. Well, I mean, like, obviously, rightfully so. It's it's a it's a huge technical profession. Yeah, it's noble. You want the doctor to have gone to medical school. You do. And you want them to have wanted to go for altruistic reasons to be like, I want to help people. And but it got but but again, the the education system knows that and they therefore charge a lot of money. Yep. Because in their brain, you're going to be making a lot of money and therefore can pay them back, which and is insidious. other lenders will go, oh, you're going to be a doctor? We'll loan you some extra money to help you through. Right. So it is all about that future. And people are taking claim at your future income with those different things, yeah. credit cards and... But it's one of those things where it's like, yes, they are going to be making a lot of money. But when it comes to how much they're paying off, it's there's there's very little difference yep. there. Yeah. And again, because wages aren't going up proportional to the cost of living, it's even tough for them. Yeah. Surprisingly so. Yeah. And 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 so the I don't know. It's it's just it's it's all around an issue. Oh yeah. 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 And it's, it's how people get buried. It's how people end up in really horrible situations. And then it's how people end up in long-term debt situations, which I think that becomes one of the other keys is it's not as bad if it's short-term, like under 12 months. Mm-hmm. 
it gets really bad after 12 months. Yeah. After 24 well, months. I mean, yeah, because most student loan debts are, it's like a five-year payment plan or something like, depending on how much you have. Yep. Like mine was like five years. And yep. luckily my debts weren't insane. I was very fortunate mm -hmm. where my parents could pay for like my first two years and then I had to take out a loan for the other two years and then I had a small yep. scholarship on top of that. So it wasn't crushing, but it was still, you know, I, I can see where if, I, I had friends who did same five-year plan and had and we're making the same money I was and had to pay like double. I was, you know, yeah. and, and it's, you know, you had to count, I had to count my blessings at that point, but, yeah. but it's like, there's nothing you can do this. You can't avoid it. No, no. Yeah. And then if you don't pay it, it's even worse. Mm -hmm. And then if you do pay it, you don't have any money. You have no money. Like it's just a, it's just a, such a pickle. Yeah. And, and I think this is where it's, it's one of the things that I think has made Voldemort so, relevant and why I will always say that he's done more for this aspect of people's lives than anyone else in the U S but it, it's such a burden and it feels like such relief for people when mm -hmm. they get out of it. But what happens is you take that uncollateralized debt aspect and you apply it to a different type of debt and the whole thing breaks. Mm -hmm. And so... It's a short-term solution. Yeah, because it's, it's good for uncollateralized debt yeah. to get out of it. and or to, or to have it be part of a strategy in a short term. Yeah, because I so, used it. I used yeah. it for my own student loans. That's how I was able to pay it off like early yeah. was, was through that. But even while I was in it, I did feel like, okay, I feel like there's more I could be doing. Yeah. You know, well, and if someone's got like some of the average, some of the credit card debt people have is like in the tune of like 100, 200, 300,000 on credit cards. And part of me is like, at what point That's does so our system money. sort of stop, like put stop gaps that people can't get more credit cards? <laughs> like, yeah. like someone might look at that and go, oh, you're ripe for the picking. Like, I'll just keep sending you. Yeah. You know, and all of us probably get the mail and the, like, but I, I mean, get like three or four credit card offers a week. But isn't the idea is like, at, at that point, your credit score is obviously in the toilet. Why? Like, like I have a very good credit score and I get offers all the time. Yep. But if, if I had a credit score that was sub zero, why? You can't get that low technically, but. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. why? If you, if you have a pulse, they'll give you a credit card. So. <laughs> but like, why would they offer it? Why would they offer it if if they know your score is so low? If you know that if you're someone who has so much, what, what, like, a, 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 in terms of just a business strategy, right? You're you're loaning people money to get it back. Yeah. But if you know they can't pay it back, why would you loan them money? Is my question. Well, so for a bank or a lender or a credit card institution, those outstanding debts are considered assets. For the, for for the credit the card company, for mm -hmm. the lender. Yep. So on a balance sheet, obligations are not good. Mm. And the math on them is such that they know that they will have enough people paying their stuff off that they can, you know, cause essentially what happens like you go to target, you spend a hundred bucks on your credit card. The credit card company is the one who pays target. Right. So they're getting so much more in interest and things like that, that cover their monthly obligations, as well as the people that pay off their cards on time, as well as then their other. So people got to understand like no business is only doing one business. <laughs> like, so they're taking those assets, probably borrowing money, investing money, like they're financial institutions. They are mm. growing their net worth, their money, their, their stuff. And the same way when you deposit in the bank, the bank, takes that they put 10% away yeah 
they loan 90. That's a good lesson. No business is ever doing one business. No. That's so true. I was just thinking about, I have a Capital One credit card, and they are not just doing credit cards. What's, <laughs> what's in your wallet? No, it's it's true because those those assets then become their version of collateral mm-hmm. that then they they use for other things. Right. So it's the it's and and this is where like we've talked about like banking and like what happens when you start banking yourself and understanding what banks are doing and how you can do the same. Understanding what's happening behind the scenes with a credit card company is equally important to understand how lending works, mm. why it works, why people continue to do it, and how it generates more money. And so this is where when people start understanding these different, ba- in, in one sense, they're basic functions mm-hmm. of like the financial system, but they've been like behind this like shield of like, Oh, you're checking account, but here's what's really right. happening behind the scenes. Right. So then it becomes this weird, like thing when you when you get behind the scenes, you're like whoa, <laughs> this is what they're doing. Yeah. So the same way your deposits are liabilities at the bank, and their loans are assets, and they get to do, you know, they get a loan ten times what they take in. Sure. And increase their their assets. The same hap- is happening with credit cards. Right, so they're they're taking the money and doing stuff elsewhere with it. Huh? Right, right. Yep. All right, we're going to take a break in the action, as I like to say, where we're discussing uncollateralized debt, where we're going to talk about, it's not necessarily a book we're recommending this time around, yeah. but an article. Ooh, a long one, though. Yeah. I mean, it's going to feel like a book. Well, there was an article, and then there was a study that the article was based on. So it's kind of a combination. Okay. Okay. Where, very quickly, if you just Google, what do, what do we have to search to find this, this article? Atlantic article, why all the financial gurus are wrong. Atlantic article, why all the financial gurus are wrong. Yep. And it's about exactly what the article is yep. titled. It is a, a group of economists who got together yep. and read through the top X amount of financial guru books. I think it was like the top 100 or something. Uh, top 100. That's a lot of books. It was a lot of books. And really analyzed, e, like, are their strategies economically sound? Exactly. And it's rather surprising. Would an economist do what the financial gurus recommend? Sure. Sure. Which, which I think, I think it would be a little surprising for listeners to know that not, I mean, a few of those financial gurus out there don't exactly have economic degrees or uh, qualifications, I I guess there it's more, um, this is how they feel. Yeah. And some, you realize like, okay, one, most gurus don't have licenses. Mm-hmm. Two, most gurus don't have an education in their area. There are some that do. That, okay. That came from Wall Street or that came from, you know, the financial sector or have a degree in economics. Okay. So that's important to know. Like sometimes... So it splits. It's split. Yeah. It's split. Okay. But for most of what the people that are in the the coverage of this article and this study, most of them don't. <laughs> so, now we we, uh, we will leave a link. Yep, to the article, so yep. it's easier to find. I have not yet even embarked on this. I have not read a thing about yep. this, so I'm very excited. Well, I tried to send you the Atlantic article, and you're like, "Oh, my Apple News doesn't do." Oh yeah, I did have. I, yeah. I'm not. I'm not subscribed to the Atlantic, so I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't read it. Which now, I, I probably should have just subscribed for a month and and read it. But regardless, it's it's out there now that yep. you could read it. And so why why does this pair well with our with a three-part conversation about debt. So there's a lot of misconceptions about what is popular financial advice mm-hmm. versus what is real financial advice. Okay. And debt is like at the dead center of 
misconception. Yeah, it's what we said at the beginning of this episode is that it a lot of a lot of gurus hinge their whole philosophy around uh, it. Uh, yeah, and it's it's a fundamental misunderstanding of like what we've talked about uncollateralized versus collateralized how you're using it what's its purpose did you use it to buy toys did you use it to buy food did you need to use it for a medical expense these are very different things that right that then make the use of it a very different spectrum as opposed to if you have debt you're bad if you don't have debt you're bad right and so and if you're on social media you'll see all of it like i know both sides and so this one is really important to me because it was an article that was based off of a study done by economists that went through all these books they outlined all these different things principles and things and you know tidbits of information of why what you should do with your finances and then economists were like well does it work like what are the most common things and then as they went through it they were like ah some of this just doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. and yet it's pitched out there as popular financial advice and it's all the key players you've probably seen most of the most of these people's names in some way shape or forms Mm -hmm. they're the top 100 books that are sold yep new york times bestsellers in some cases you know sure you go to barnes and noble the finance section you're gonna find them full yep of these books yep oh my gosh can you be louder with those grapes (laughs) what a sentence what a sentence that was great (laughs) so again we're recording this in a live environment alive is active we're gonna sue (laughs) but essentially what happened is the guy that ran the atlantic article found the study and was like oh my gosh all the finance gurus are wrong and then the subtitle of the article is why they why finance gurus treat people as if they have no willpower Mm. which might be why they're right (laughs) And it was just like this alarming kind of wow. Like, That's that is a very interesting subtitle because it does it does make you think: Are people just sheep wanting to be told what to do? Yeah, because it's easier that way. It is. Yeah, and it's more docile, so those at the top can control. That's yeah. the that's the conspiratorial part of me. And talking. people want like a basic set of: If I do X, Y, and Z, I'll be fine. Well, because that's what you want, and yeah. and, and that I, I think that again, I, I, again, as if I've talked about this before, I don't know if I have, but I, I think that goes into the way that we as U.S. citizens are educated. We are educated in a roadmap up until a certain point, yep. where you're given, you know, you're rewarded or demerited depending on how well you're doing, and you're told of like this is what you should learn, this is where you should go. And when it comes to finances, we want the we we're, we're because we're in ingrained in like being told where where we should be going. We want to also be told where we should be going in terms of finances. Yeah, you know, not a lot of people, and and also, and, and I know I have said this before, people are so focused on their own lives with with their families and their kids and their careers that they don't also want to spend the brain space to be thinking about finances. And so someone being like, Hey, it's okay. This is all you have to do. Do these five steps is so easy and convenient. Yep. Oh, all I have to do is this. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. It's just like, I don't have to worry because this person tells me to do this and I'm set. Yeah. Whereas if you're being more mindful, which is the whole thesis of our podcast, as any regular listener would know, um, you may understand that there's a lot more to go into family wealth than just yeah. following a guru. Yeah, and in most cases, following a guru won't actually work long term. No. <laughs> which is so surprising because... But most people don't do that extra step of going like, okay, if I do these baby steps, where does that get me? Yeah. And in most cases, it 
doesn't get you where you think it should. Yeah, you have to be a little contrarian, you know, oh, yeah. in order to really like think think outside the box of of what these people are telling you. Exactly. But this article, repeat it, please. <laughs> So the article in the Atlantic was why all the financial gurus are wrong. Why all the financial gurus are wrong in the Atlantic. Yep. Check it out. We will have a link in the show notes. And we'll also have a link to the study it was based on. We'll have a link to the study it was based on. And their somewhat hundred and something page document aggregating all the data from all these books. Oh, my Lanta. We do not expect you to read all that. If you want to, go for it. But a very long Instagram post. It's mainly all about the article because it will be more succinct Yep, about it. But check it out. I'm excited to read it. Ron has already read it many times and he loves it. So, and he has not steered us wrong yet. So here we go. Let's check it out. We are now I know I know part the next part of, of this is, is is going into Penny for Your Thoughts. Yeah. Before we do that really quick, I do wanna ask you, because we are talking about uncollateralized debt, we're talking about financial gurus who handle strategies about tackling uncollateralized debt. Do you feel that cause because you have praised certain individuals for what they've done to help people get out of debt when it comes to credit cards and student Mm -hmm. loans. Do you feel that you have your own strategy? Is there a, when it comes to helping people get out of, do you feel get, get out of debt in that capacity? Do you feel like what's out there is sufficient or do you feel like, is there, is there something better that people could be doing? Well, in general, the two quote-unquote snowball approaches, which is what is common out there, right? they're not unique to any individual per se. Like mm-hmm. Voldemort didn't create the debt snowball. Right. It's been around since before he was born. So the two strategies are lowest debt first or highest interest debt first. Right. Mathematically, highest interest debt first costs the least amount of money long-term. Sure. Economically, it makes more sense. Economically, it makes more sense. Behaviorally, sometimes tackling the tiny one creates the sort of motivation. Right. You feel like you're accomplishing something. Yeah. So mathematically, it will take more time and more money to do it that way, to debt snowball lowest balance to highest balance. Okay. Now... It's tough because I'm like, well, mathematically, it's not as good. Behaviorally, it seems to work pretty well. Yeah, it so, does. It does. It, it, it feels really good to, to pay off a, a, a $200 debt and be like, hey, look, I'm doing it. Yeah, and then, you, yeah. And then when you get to roll that into the and next one. then you roll one. it over, right. So in that sense, I can't argue with the behavior of finance. I mean, it goes back to the psychology of money by Housel. Like Mm -hmm. so much of what we do is more about the behavior than the actual math and money. Yeah. But if you're, if you can understand and get your behavior wrapped around that, you're doing the same thing, but in a more cost efficient way by doing the highest interest first, then that, actually will save you money long term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So again, it, it's essentially about if you're stuck and you need to get out, which strategy is going to help you get out fastest? Yeah. It's about know, knowing yeah. what works for you. Yeah. yeah. And so do you need do you need gratification sooner than later or do you do you just do you want economic efficiency no matter how long, you know, whether yeah. or not you're going to feel gratification from it? Yeah, and you yeah. will spend less money and get out faster. But oftentimes, because people don't see the results the same way they right. see with the other strategy, it doesn't work as well. Yeah. And so that's where they might be right. <laughs> right. Compared to the economics of it and the math of it. It's interesting. So yeah. then that's, and I think that's why so many people, especially over the past you know 20 years or so, have bought into that 
philosophy because they find the satisfaction, you know, they feel it, they see it, it feels good, right? it's motivating, and so in that sense it might be better. But It is interesting how a lot of people um, handle their finances in a uh, behavioral, like a gut check rather than like an intellectual way of doing it. You know, like it's more of like how how they feel. Yep. I feel like I should be doing this. I feel yep. like I should be doing that rather than an intellectual, no calculating. I should, th- this is what I need to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's very, and, and, and that's going to, th- I think, segue us into our uh, final conversation for the, for the episode, which is our penny for your thoughts, yep. which is about, kind of what you hinted earlier about what makes uncollateralized debt good. Yeah. Which is interesting because I feel like most of the, most of this episode we've really been with, you know, without saying it explicitly talking about how it's bad. Yeah. Because of the high interest and being sometimes forced into it. Yep. But, but w- w- d- d- tell me about your, your take on it. I tend to be very centrist about everything, which is good and bad. So I think it's great. I so think it's great. In this, in most cases, probably high interest credit card debt, overwhelming student debt, it's probably not great. No, it's not. It's not helpful. No. But in the right circumstances, it's very helpful. And so I think understanding that. So when I say good where it can be good is sometimes people are in situations where they need an influx of cash Mm -hmm. you mentioned your dad he needed it he needed to live off of high interest credit card debt to get him to la to fulfill his dreams and then to create the future that he was able to create right could there have been other better methods oh yeah probably were they available to him? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it's like he took a chance on himself mm-hmm. and decided, no, this is the future. This is what's going to provide for me and my family long-term. Short-term, it's probably going to suck. Mm-hmm. Long-term, it's all going to be worth it. Right. So in that sense, if if people have a real vision for why they're doing it and using it, even like student loans, like most, so the stats are awful about how many people use their college degrees professionally. It's terrible. It's terrible. So yeah. It's like 85% don't. So then if you're going to take on a hundred thousand dollars of debt for a degree that you are not going to use in the future, you should really think about that. And then there's the other side that says, well, but in our culture still, you kind of need a four-year degree to get a job. There's a stigma. There's a stigma, definitely. It's beyond a stigma. It's a literal fact. Most jobs have that as an entry requirement. Now, we're not talking about the entrepreneurs or the creators or the people that go, you know. Yes, the. Go outside the system and. The anomalies. Yeah, and like the YouTubes and the, you know, the people that become famous that way or, oh, I started a business at 19 or whatever that stuff is. Yeah. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about the people that go into a job. Now, like I've talked to my kids about the idea that like education is important. It's good. It also should be in line with the direction that you want to go. It should. It should. Yeah. And so it should benefit you. So, and there's a lot of jobs that require certain levels of skills and credentials and things like that. Like, you can't be a doctor without going to medical school. <laughs> right. Same with like You that. can't be a lawyer without going to law school. Yeah. So, you find that much more in the in the realm of, like, professional degrees, professional certifications. And I think there's a good level of which certain parts of education are good for human development. Other parts are good for professional development. So, but when it comes to credit card usage, I think in short-term situations or emergency situations, right. it is the fastest access to cash. hundred percent. I know, like I, like, like I said earlier, my credit card, my cap or whatever limit went up. So I now know how much, if I needed a certain yep. amount of money very fast, 
Yeah. I know I, I, there was a very reckless way I could go about it. Yeah, you could you, know? you could go down to GameStop and buy a bunch of video games, <laughs> or Best Buy and buy some TVs. But I I think what's happened, and this is where the stigma around credit card debt is, there are those cases where people just spend recklessly. Yes, there, there are. are also the cases of people have actual things, mm-hmm. and I think this is where I mean some of the whole focus of the podcast is to destigmatize certain aspects, reduce anxiety, help people think a yeah. little bit different about these different things that maybe we've been shoved down our throat that if you have credit card debt, you're an evil human being and what's wrong with you. Yeah. And there are people that like encounter serious medical issues or their yep. family is in dire need. And so they're like, shoot 30%. That's the cheapest money I can get right now. Right. I'm doing yeah. it. You're buying cash. We talked about that before. You're, you're buying, you're buying ca- cash. You're yeah. buying cash. Sure. It's expensive. But at the expense of not having it for what that could be yeah. for, for certain people is really catastrophic. And I think that's yeah. where we tend to blanket statement like, oh, credit card debt, bad. Yeah. Like credit card debt used Why, properly well, yeah. or used for really good purposes in in light of our current. Could be life-saving. Could be life-saving, could be economically Advantageous, helpful. yeah. Yeah, even though it costs a ton, a lot of people sometimes might not be in a situation to fund a certain thing. And I think that's the unfortunate situation when it comes to how people stigmatize is that yep. they they don't they're not they're they're trying to. It's easy to make an argument when you can simplify it. Oh yeah, and <laughs> that and, might be the most brilliant thing you've ever said. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's true though. I went to college. The but it, it's it's very true. The and 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 people don't want to try. People don't want to understand nuances because it muddies their argument. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know when 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 people talk about I mean we you could use that argument for a variety. There's a variety of issues that people that we are all dealing with yeah. nowadays that you can use that argument with. But when it comes to credit cards, the idea that someone's in massive debt, it's it may not necessarily be their fault. Exactly. It may be, they might not have known another option. You know, you, like I love quoting Oprah and she says that, I think she's actually quoting Maya Angelou. <laughs> it's Oprah <laughs> quoting, quoting Maya Angelou. Who's probably quoting Kanye West. Who's probably quoting Kanye West. But it's people, uh, shoot, I'm going to butcher this, but paraphrasing it, it's people do, it, well, no, here it is. When you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. When you know better, you do better. That is the quote. And if you don't know any better, then what you're going to do is all you know. Yeah. Which includes taking on massive credit card debt because you have to, because, because I don't know, your kid has a medical issue. Yeah. You know, when you see it for, you see it for all kinds of reasons. Like some people do it to take an incredible risk on themselves. Like your dad's situation could have ended up horrible. Yeah. But it didn't. Mm. And some people do it like in, in terms of like, I'm trying to start a business. Like I want to, I want to make this work. It's going to work. I think it's going to work. And sometimes things just don't hit the the way that and that's people, where luck comes in yeah. way that people think yeah. and so it's like do you fault them because on the other side you're like oh well pursue the entrepreneurial spirit and like yeah and so it's one of those things where and i think that's why like it's not it's a game that in some senses can be unforgiving if you play it wrong mm-hmm. and can be very forgiving if you play it right the problem is you don't know if you're playing it wrong or right. Yeah. You're just playing it. Yeah. And you're either winning or losing. And again, luck is evolved. This is why I believe that I don't care how rich you are or how much work you think you did. Luck was involved in your success. Mm-hmm. At least 10% of it. Yeah. Because the right conditions needed to happen. Well, and and probably if you stepped back, you would see there are probably at least a hundred other factors. That's what I Had mean. Had they been different, your situation so much is so much is out, out of your control. Yeah. There is so much. Yeah, 
it's the same it's the same way in you know I, I'm, I'm in the entertainment industry and there was so much out of your control there was so much that you just have to kind of keep doing what you're doing and hope at some point it hits yep well and some people are like they put themselves on a pedestal because they don't have debt and it's like okay there's certain way that you can say yes that's a good thing and there's certain things that you've done to pr- to provide yourself a debt-free situation yeah that should never be compared in any way, shape, or form to someone that's in a debt situation. No. As one's good, one's bad. No. Yeah. Because they are completely independent, and I think that's how... Yeah, not all debt is created equal. It's not. No. no. Not at all. No. Yeah. Not not one bit. Not at all. So if you, if, I mean, if you, listener, are in debt and you're like, what the heck, just know that it's like not... It may not be all your fault. It's 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 just really just the circumstances that, yeah, what's going on. And some people take it on for the most altruistic reasons and yeah. for the sake of others and like should be given a medal. And yeah, like totally. All of us should rally and free them from their debt, like on their behalf, because they're good Samaritans and they're like Mother Teresa and they're mm-hmm. like doing good to try and help the yeah. people in their in their spot. Yeah, so. That's where I think understanding, like, in this case, like, why uncollateralized debt in a lot of cases buries people, but in some cases is not to be shamed. Right, right. So to, to, to be a little succinct when it comes to Penny for your thoughts, what do you have to say about uncollateralized debt? In some cases, hey, that was my dog barking at the cat. <laughs> We told you there were live live animals. animals. Uncollateralized debt in a lot of cases and probably in general should be avoided and not pursued Mm -hmm. as like a financial strategy. Sure. But in the right circumstances and in probably more short term and in more emergency situations, it can make the most sense. Mm. And so some of that has to do with you're looking at a situation like if you're doing a business venture, if you're doing something that has potential payoffs, bit real, of a gamble. Yeah, it could it could be a gamble. It could be just trying to set yourself up mm-hmm. or to maneuver, or you lost a job and you need to navigate a few months or something like that. Sure. Like there are a lot of reasons that could be valid for why you would enter into that, and. And why it can be useful in a short-term situation for short-term cash, mm-hmm. short-term needs. Yeah. And in some cases, it can turn out really, really well. Yeah. Because if I told you, like, hey, take on $10,000 worth of credit card debt this year, not pay the minimums, accrue all the interest, but it's going to be a $100,000 payout after 12 months, would you do it? I mean, yeah. Because what what would I be paying in interest? What like uh, another another thousand or two thousand? Two thousand? Yeah. When you actually add aggregate the interest? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, it take that. So that's where some people sometimes are short sighted in thinking about some of these things. It may very very well not be so bad, right? In in the grand scheme of your whole life, your whole financial life from yeah. beginning to end. So there you go. Well, we're here to destigmatize. Anyone who feels like they uh, buried themselves in uncollateralized debt, we're here for you. If you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on our, we're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So you can comment, leave us, leave us a question. And we'll be back next week to talk about collateralized debt. Collateralized debt. Now Which that's is a whole, fun. it's a whole other ball game. Thanks for listening to What's Up With Money. We'll continue our conversation in the next episode. But until then, please subscribe to rate and review the show. Giving a rating or review helps other people find the show. So if you like what you're hearing and you want others to hear it too, please give us a rating, share us on social media, or both. Reviews are also where you can leave us questions. So if you have any financial questions for us, please leave them in the review. We may answer it on the show. We love questions. 
We'll be back next week to continue our conversation and hopefully get a little bit closer to answering the age-old question, What's What's up up with money? the Monopoly board. Whether you played the game or not, you should read the rules like an intelligent person and understand that there's clues. It says that if the bank runs out of money, right? And you remember when you play Monopoly and you pull out the money and eventually the bank can run out of money. But the rules say that the bank can never run out of money because you can just get out a piece of paper and write dollar signs on it that equate to money. And now you can continue playing up until a default hits and the bank can take your liquidity and put it back into the system. So so when people tell me that the, that the game is, isn't rigged, that shit is safe that you gotta be working 24 7 to hustle to make money motherfuckers you don't know shit bro money's printed out of thin air wow you know what's so funny is that i i was the kid who read the instructions every i read i always did i i would stop people from playing because i'm like hold on we have not yet read the instruction pamphlet yep, to yep. properly know how to play this game. And if you come over to my parents' house, there are maybe a half dozen to a dozen v- different varieties of Monopoly. It's amazing. Monopoly was one of the more popular games we played. Lord of the Rings Monopoly. Oh, I have Star Wars Monopoly. Oh, nice! Lord of, the, Lord of the Rings Monopoly had a ring that went around the board, and when you rolled, one ring to rule them and, all. And and the the one on the die was the eye, and it's like Siren. something something happened. I forgot what it was, but like either you got the property free or something. I I forget, but it was a fun little wild card moment. I was the annoying kid that was like, "Oh, you don't want to buy that property? I'll buy it." Like it's not your turn. It's like, no, you need to know the rules. Like I can buy that I if you don't buy it. buy it. Yes, you can. I was up for auction. That's right. But I, I also, I knew, I, I, I knew that if the bank, quote unquote, runs out of physical money, you just draw it. You just write it. <laughs> but I never, ever, I just thought that was like, oh, like the game only comes with so many dollars. Yeah. Obviously the game is like, hey, you know, if you guys are doing really well, just make your own. Yep. I never thought that that was a hint to how the government actually handles finances. I don't think they even realize that that was a hint to how the government actually handles finances. No, But it is because that's exactly what happens. Well, it's a whole hint to the whole banking system. Like in this episode, like I'll talk about like you deposit $10. The bank keeps one, loans out nine. Right. Now, if the person you loan the nine to immediately puts them back in the bank, the bank will keep one and loan the other right eight. Yeah. So now the bank has lent out $17, but has only taken in 10. 10. Then if that person takes theirs, deposits it, like it's a continual game. And, and it makes you think like, okay, in my paycheck, if I take, let's just say... This is not my paycheck, but let's just say around a thousand dollars. Okay, my paycheck is a thousand dollars. Then I take in a thousand. Yep. And according to being a bank, yep, I should lend out nine hundred. Yep. Keep a hundred. Yep. For expenses, lend out nine hundred. And what that means for me, I don't know. That could mean investing it in Roths. 401ks, life insurance, buying a home. I don't know. But the idea is like putting the money, you're, you're putting 90% of it to work. Exactly. It could, And that work could just mean actually buying uh, food to eat. Yeah. We'll, we talked recently about how employing your money doesn't necessarily just mean investing. It means just making sure it's doing something for you. Yep in an advantageous way, which means buying food, buying clothing, um, what what have you, you know, heat, AC, I don't exactly. know. But a hundred, the bank keeps for whatever. Probably in life insurance. Probably in life insurance. But, but it just makes you think like, okay, if that's what they're doing, what should I be doing? 
exactly it's just yeah. i don't know it's just it's just again mindset shifts mindset shifts all around yeah but monopoly was onto something in so many ways yeah they were so and i encourage everyone right now to go read your monopoly board instructions front to back see what you learn Oh, they talk about water and power and taxation and all that. What I happens know. when you go to jail? You do not pass go. No. <laughs> I had always thought, like, what if inflation was built into the monopoly? In oh, that, interesting. In that every time you pass go, you got 10% less. That's interesting. In that's a lot of math, though. I that, know. That's a more complicated game. I know. That's why inflation always works against us. That's when you so, would need to make your own currency. You would. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily for us in America, we have made our own currency. (laughs) Yes, we did.